Good day, all. Welcome to a new episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now, I want you to remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Hi, everyone. I want to first take this time to thank each of you for tuning in, especially the new listeners. I want to also take this time to acknowledge the tragic death of an NBA legend. Mr. Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter died in a tragic helicopter accident today. I can't imagine how Mrs. Bryant and her remaining three daughters are feeling right now. As a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to use my platform and use tragedies to promote salvation in Christ. And I say this with love in my heart. You don't know when your life will end. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. I don't know if Mr. Bryant was saved or not. I can only hope. I prayed and asked God earlier to comfort his family. I know they are hurting more than we can ever imagine. In any event, this is a huge loss to the sports world and will affect millions around the world. Now, with that said, I would like to move forward with my message today. I want you guys to go to our leading scripture, which is in Matthew chapter 13. And while you are looking, I will speak to the new listeners. Those who don't know and are unaware, I typically teach and read scripture from the New King James Bible. If you happen to see different wordings because you are using a different version, that's okay. We will end up in the same place. Today's message will be taught entirely using the New King James Version. So I hope you guys are there. Also, I'm going to just read through for the sake of time through scripture. You guys have the option to press pause when I give you a scripture that I'm getting ready to read. And we will be doing a lot of reading today. You can press pause while I commence the reading and you can resume when you find a scripture. Okay. now this is Matthew 13, verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. Now, today's message is 10 parables Jesus told. Now, of course, Jesus told more than 10 parables, but I chose these parables based on information I received via email and through conversations I have with people. I am often asked, because I am a teacher in the body of Christ, I am often asked, What did Jesus mean when he said this? Or what did Jesus mean when he said that? So I decided to do a short message on it. I I abstracted 10 parables from, I think, maybe 40 parables that Jesus told throughout his ministry. But I can tell you this. When Jesus wanted to get a spiritual truth across to ordinary men and women, he used the, the, the vehicle of the parable. So it logically follows that in order to fully grasp the truth, we must first grasp 
the parable. Any Bible student of today can greatly clarify his understanding of Jesus's teachings by examining the nature and language of the parable, as well as the reasons for which he chose to deliver it. As the original Greek word says, a parable is a comparison. It is something drawn alongside something else, or more specifically, a homely and familiar situation drawn alongside a truth of profound importance. So effectively were Jesus's word pictures painted that they not only capture attention, but hold it, as would a great work of art. So why did Jesus use parables? Jesus must have perceived that their innate quality of simplicity would keep his good news safe and fresh through the ages. The simplicity of the parables did indeed ensure their being remembered, evidenced by the fact that they have endured over nearly 2,000 years. And there is no debate in that simplicity is, in a, is, is a definite factor in their apparent agelessness their relevance and appeal to people in widely varying situations and in all periods of history. It appears that Jesus was seeking through parables to both project and protect his word. Although they served to illustrate his gospel, making it popular rather than academic, they also protected it from overexposure and disinterest. Plain speech would have provoked more ridicule from his enemies and less thought from his friends. So let's look at the first parable. A very popular parable, the prodigal son. Now, I will be reading a lot of scripture, as I mentioned earlier. The prodigal son is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And I am reading. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Meaning he was feeding his swines good. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he started thinking about this people. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I have perished with hunger wait hold on let me make sure I read that right and I have perished with hunger yes I did I will arise and go to my father and will say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I and am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, look, not his brother, this son of yours, he said, this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now of all the parables, this comes closest to giving us a glimpse of the hallowed face of God. It illustrates that God's love is beyond justice, beyond reason, that he ever hungers for the return of a sinner. The righteous are his already. They have his love already, but they are not to be self-righteous nor jealous of their position in his eyes. Now, what we see here is a brother who never had his heart in the right place. Mm hmm. He felt his works alone should have made him number one in the sight of his dad. But but his dad is showing that he loved both him and his younger son equally. Now, we are to love one another no matter what. Now, if we have a brother or a sister in Christ that go astray and go back into the world and then decides to return home, we should be glad that our brother or sister has returned to the fold. Now, the perfect father might be a more descriptive title for this gem of a parable. Okay, now let's go to the next parable, the Pharisee and the publican. It is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And I am reading. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest. I'm sorry, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. My goodness. Mm. Now, humility is the lesson of this familiar parable. The standing Pharisee's pride in his goodness blocked out God. He was so busy congratulating himself for not being like other men, it never occurred to him he was not much like God either. In contrast, the kneeling publican recognized the vast gulf between God and himself and consequently went down to his house justified. It is not human nature to be humble. Yet, it is plain that Jesus wants those who love him to defy their own pride to go against human nature with the help of grace. We have to learn how to walk in grace, people, because you have to remember God despises a proud look. And a proud look means a person who exalts himself above another. And we have to remember that. That happened to me. Humility is not a place, a good place to be in. Oh, no, it's not. And I'm telling you, when it happened to me, I have been humbled ever since. So let's go on to the next parable, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. It is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, and I am reading. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, isn't that something? <laughs> Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, i.e., I'm, I'm sorry, I-N-N, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now this popular parable emphasizes the meaning of being a good neighbor and the importance of true Christian compassion. Responding to a lawyer who asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus makes it clear that any human being in need is our neighbor. You don't necessarily have to live next door to someone to be their neighbor. Now, by casting one of the Samaritans, which were men much despised by the Jews, in the role of the compassionate neighbor, Jesus challenged his audience. He seems to be saying, if a Samaritan, whom you consider an outcast, will rescue a Jew in trouble, what a reflection it is on you and your religion if indifference you pass by the needy. Mm, I tell you. Now, this happened to me one time. 
I happened to be downtown in the state of Louisiana and I saw a homeless lady sitting on the ground. She had on a jacket and, and pants and some open toe shoes and it was in the heart of winter. Now, in the winter in Louisiana is never freezing cold, but it, on occasion we may have some temperatures that are so cold that the um, state and different cities, depending on what, what parish or city we may have a freeze, they will open up shelters to get the homeless off the street to make sure that they don't, you know, die from um, hypothermia. Um, I took this lady off the streets and put her in a hotel for four days. I, uh, I prayed for her before I left. I gave her money for food. And um, I don't know what happened to her after that. I do know that I went to the clerk at check-in and told her that I was paying for a room for this homeless lady to, lady, I'm sorry, to be off the streets for four days. And they charged my credit card for four days. And after the... Um, I told her after the four days was up, do not charge my card anymore. I gave her my phone number and said, if something happens between now and the four days, you know, give me a call. But I never heard from her again. And I hope to God that that lady was able to get back on track. I hope to God. And I know everybody is not in a position to do that, but we can do something. If you see someone in need of food, buy them some food. If you feel uncomfortable giving them money because you think they are going to go and buy alcohol or drugs, buy them some food, buy them some water, you know, do whatever you can. Okay. Now let's go to the next parable, the secret growth of seed. It is in Mark chapter four, verses 26 to 29. And I am reading. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, in this beautiful word picture, Jesus teaches us about the growth and development of, of his kingdom. He uses seeds of the world to illustrate how seeds of the word, his word, grow to incredible proportions because of the secret force wrapped up within them. No outside energy could have any effect where or, or were it not that in the seed itself is a potential vitality waiting to be awakened, which is a, a potential life that's there just waiting to, to, to wake, just to awake. Now, every seed contains the blueprint for the plant it will become when mature. In like manner is the power, the truth, the essence of life wrapped in every word Jesus spoke. This is a short parable, but it is a beautiful parable. Now let's go to the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. The hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Again, oh, I'm sorry. It is in Matthew chapter 13, 44 and 46. I was getting ready to start reading y'all. <laughs> I was just rolling through. It's in Matthew 13, four, verses 44 through 46. And I am reading. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the kingdom of heaven is pictured as a, a treasure in these two parables. The first parable tells us that some stumble onto the treasure by chance. The second says some are prepared by training to find it and will effectively seek it. Both stories agree that when his kingdom is found, there is but one entrance, one key, sacrifice finders, keepers, only if the finder abandons all else. This means recognizing that the vital transforming experience of Christ is worth more than anything else in the world. Further, it means relinquishing to him ownership and control of our lives. See, when we turn and give our lives over to Christ, we have to lay it all on the table, people. See, we can't be faking and shaking and playing with this uh, Christian thing. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. And that is what this parable is talking about. Now, what about the laborers in the vineyard? The laborers in the vineyard go to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. And I am reading. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, a day for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went again. He went out about the sixth hour, about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they were they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to, to, the, to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Yes, it is. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Oh, my. Mm. See, them worrying about what he was giving some workers who came after them is considered to be evil. Oh, yes. 
So the last will be first and the first last for many are called, but few are chosen. My goodness. Now there are many truths to be learned from this parable. When the householder pays first the men who came last, giving them the same wage as to those who, who had toiled all day, there does seem to be ground for a grievance. But Jesus does not say the kingdom of industry is like this. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this. Pride has no room in heaven and no mere man can judge what lies behind the late answer of another soul. Now, God's rewards are bestowed for handicaps overcome as well as for goals achieved. And you should never think you are worth more than another human being. Never. This man was being good to these other men. And because these other men saw this, they had an issue with it. And Jesus said, mm-mm, mm-mm, many are first or the first will be last. But guess what? Many are called, but few are chosen. Now let that sink in. Now let's go to the house built on the rock. The house built on the rock. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And I am reading, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Now, this story could very well have been suggested to Jesus by his own experience as a carpenter. He certainly tells it vividly as though it were reflecting his special interest in building or something. The parable's message is clear and bold right here. You would have to be a two-year-old not to understand what Jesus is talking about. Those who build their lives on his teachings will have security and stability. Those who reject him will meet with disaster. It's as simple, it is as simple as that. The laying of the foundation is what takes time and there are no shut, shortcuts, saints. The foundation for our spiritual home must be patiently hewn from the bedrock of virtue, humility, perseverance, and love of Christ. Oh yes. Now let's go to the friend at midnight. This is one of my favorite ones, the friend at midnight. It's found in Luke chapter 11 verses five through 10. And I am reading. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is not shut. Uh, wait, hold up. Let me, let me read this over because it's something didn't sound right. Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. 
I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who acts receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, Jesus devoted this parable to showing the value of persistent prayer. That's what this parable is about. It is about persistent prayer. It is significant that it does not begin with saying, with saying the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, or as do many other parables, clearly God is not being, you know, characterized as a reluctant person who is unwilling to listen, but who will respond if we keep on annoying him. That's what this is about. See, God doesn't have a problem with us constantly coming to him. No, you can keep on and keep on and keep on and God is going to answer, answer us. So rather in a style of argument familiar to Jesus contemporaries, it teaches if a mean spirited person for a bad reason will respond to one who is a nuisance, how much more will God for a good reason respond to those who are his children? Hmm. That's what this parable is about. So let's go to our next parable, the rich fool. Oh yes, the rich fool. It is in Luke chapter 12 verses 16 through 21. And I am reading. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, with an exclamation point at the end, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, this parable seems uh, a development from the famous verse which precedes it, which says, take heed and be aware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, Jesus never condemns money for itself, but regards it as tending to hinder the spiritual growth of an individual unless um, I would say dedicated whereby it may become a useful, um, uh, or become useful to influence the power in promoting the kingdom of heaven. I'll put it that way. God is the owner. We are the stewards and true wealth is that which is still possessed when all that death can take is taken. Now, our faith should not be in our possessions. It should not be in money. Our faith should be 100% in God. If your faith is in your possessions, 
you have separated yourself from God. And we need to understand that because wherever your faith is, wherever your thoughts are, that's where your treasure is. God is not there. Your thoughts and your mind and your faith should always be on God taking care of you because God's word says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all of these, these things shall be added unto you. So we need to keep that in mind. Now let's go to our last parable. It is the lost sheep and the lost coin. This is my favorite parable, which is why I saved it for last. And I am reading first. Let me tell you where to go. You see, I'm trying to rush through this. Luke chapter 15 verses three through 10. Luke 15 chapter three, no verses three through 10. And I am reading. So he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to that, I say to that, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins? If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors to get to, uh, together, uh, saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, through these two parables, Jesus paints a picture of one who is actively, tirelessly searching to bring in his own kingdom. Now, both stories spotlight people who felt a, a desperate sense of completion in their loss and a great joy in their finding. Now, although everyone belongs to God, because he created them. And we all know everyone is not a child of God unless they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is how we are adopted into the family of God. His chief interest is not in groups, but in the individual person. Okay. And we need to get this. He needs us and, and wants us, you know, every one of us. This was a new and startling idea to the people of Jesus's time. It brought comfort to the fearful and hope to the discouraged. It is no less meaningful today. And I'm telling you, just because you go to a certain denomination doesn't mean anything with God. He wants a personal relationship with you. This is why Jesus has to be your personal Lord and Savior. And that is what that parable is talking about. Now, earlier I mentioned that I didn't know if Kobe Bryant was saved or not. Well, I find, I have since found out that Kobe Bryant is our brother in Christ. And so was his 13 year old daughter. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. So we can rest in, in knowing that Kobe Bryant is in the bosom of Jesus. 
It is so unfortunate that his life was cut short, but I am here to tell you, I was so happy when I found out that Kobe Bryant and his daughter and his whole family, his wife and his other children are Christians. Praise God for that. So stand by for an invitation to accept Christ and my closing remarks. To everyone who hears this message, including those who profess to having accepted Christ, but don't possess his spirit, and to the non-believers who are chasing religion looking for God, tomorrow is not promised to you. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other way to get to God outside of Christ. There is no back door. I want you to read John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. All you have to do to secure your salvation in Christ is to say this simple prayer one time and mean it. Father God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believe this in my heart, God, your word says I'm saved. Amen. If you said this simple prayer, my friends, you have just been saved by grace. Yes, it's just that simple. If you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart right now. You now have free access to God. You are a saint, a believer, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. I encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth so you can grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Renew your mind with the word of God so you can establish a relationship with him. God wants you to enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion, dignity, and respect. Now stand by for my closing remarks. Pray that you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially because you feel we have been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Now, until next time. Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.